Amen. Listen to all these preachers we got in here. Hallelujah. They're doing a great job. Appreciate that so much. Uh, you know, we, I, don't, I don't really communicate with the praise team, tell them what to sing or anything like that. Uh, and I was amazed, uh, Demisha, listening to the songs, uh, how it just fits so perfectly with what God's put on my heart. All the songs that they, uh, the worship songs this morning were, I hope you caught that. I, I heard some of you even referencing the songs, Mike was, and they were identity songs. They were songs about who we are uh, and who Christ has made us to be. So uh, I chose a very original title today, Life Lock. Uh, not the Life Lock that you get on on the Internet. Notice there's a space between it, so I didn't break any laws. But, uh, you know, I do believe that a lot of things in the natural world, uh, parallel, uh, you know, uh, well, sometimes it's a paradox, but they parallel things sometimes in the spirit realm. You know, identity theft is something, you know, 25, 30 years ago you didn't even hear anything about. And now it's such a common thing. Well, I think it's also in the body of Christ. I think that the enemy, one of his greatest strategies is to get us to forget or never know who we are in Christ Jesus. Amen? And... Uh, so I want to talk to you about that today, and I want to talk to you because the reason this is so important, everybody say destiny. destiny. Uh, it's been on my heart all week, but destiny, listen to what it means. It means a predetermined or predestined course of events. The old English origin of this word means to make firm or to establish. And so the way God establishes your destiny he does that by revealing to you your identity in him. If you're messed up on your identity, you're never going to reach your destiny. And I'll tell you something. Everybody in here has a, a destiny in Christ, in God. And I'm not talking about just limited. I believe it includes that. But I'm not talking about just some kind of vocation, where you're supposed to work, what college to go to, who to marry, all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about something much bigger than that. And, uh, you know, Simeon, the prophet, he spoke of Jesus' destiny in Luke 2 and 34. He said, Behold, this child is destined uh, for the fall and rise of many in Israel. So when Jesus was brought to the temple, there was a prophet speaking about his destiny. And then in Romans chapter 8, real familiar uh, passages of Scripture in 28, 29, and 30, we love this first one, don't we? We know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called According to what? So you see purpose involved. God has purpose. And then for whom he foreknew, look, look at this word, he also did what? So we're talking about destiny. He predestined uh, to be conformed. Now one thing we can't do on this overhead, and if you're sitting there with a King James Bible or a New King James Version Bible, uh, we know that there are words in that translation of the original language that are in italicized, Right? Not trying to talk to you like you're stupid. I'm just trying to make sure everybody understands because everybody don't know this. So what does those italicized words mean in your Bible? They've been added by whom? The translators. To try to bring clarity or, you know, whatever. Now, sometimes they didn't do us any service when they did that. And this happens to be one of those cases. And, uh, and so unless you have it like I do here, the words to be are italicized in your Bible. So this is how it reads without them adding the, the words. It says, for whom he foreknow, 
he also predestined, conformed to the image of his son. Now, they, they couldn't probably visualize how that would be until you did and go to heaven. They didn't understand Ephesians 4 says that when we got born again, that we were, not will be, but we were, 424 of Ephesians, Paul said, put on the new man which was created according to what? According to God in true righteousness, listen, and holiness. So when you got born again, you're as righteous as you're ever going to be. You're not going to be more righteous when you get to heaven. Because where does your righteousness come from? Jesus. You think Jesus is going to improve between now and when you get to heaven? You think he's already at the level he's going to be at, right? All right, so we have become the righteous of God. How, though? In Christ. In Christ. God puts you in Christ. Mike was, Pastor Mike was saying, if any man be in Christ, he's what? All right, God put you in Christ for what purpose? So that he could treat you like Jesus. And then Demetria quoted that, uh, that Christ is in us. You heard her? Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you say, well, explain all that. It's not my job. Just believe it. I can't explain all of the geography of that, but you have been placed in Christ. How could you ever be far from him? You may feel far from him, but that's a lie. Amen. Ephesians says you've been brought near to, to Christ by the blood of Jesus. It wasn't your do-gooding that got you close. And it ain't your do-gooding. I know it's bad English, but that ain't what keeps you close. The blood of Jesus is what keeps you close. So you may not feel close to God, so it's a myth to say, well, I want to get closer to God. Or go talk to this guy. He's close to the Lord. Or go see her because she's really close to God. See, all that's lies. You're either born again or you're not. And if you're born again, you're as close to God as you can get. You're in him. That'd be like you saying, I want to get close to this sanctuary. You're in here. Don't waste time praying to be close to the sanctuary. Just look around and say, I'm in. I'm in. You're in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's bow ahead and say a prayer. We'll go home. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of them putting their head down boy that's going yes five minute sermon amen alright turn around and look at somebody give them the biggest smile say welcome to Grace Point you can be seated I know what I just said probably freaked some of you out but it is true and that's what happened when you got born again in verse 29 of Romans 8 that he predestined you. How? Conformed to the image of his son. You, you say, well, I don't really, I'm not conformed to the image of his son yet. Not on the outside you're not, but on the inside you are molecule for molecule, just like Jesus. And I didn't make that up. In 1 John chapter 4, you figure out and find the verse, but it says, as he is, Jesus, as he is, so are we, Where? In this world. That's an amazing verse. So, so how is Jesus now? As he is, so are we in this world. So where is Jesus? He is seated where? At the right hand of the Father. Where are you seated? With him in heavenly places. You are seated in Christ Jesus. Why is Jesus seated? Is he tired? Need to give his feet a break? 
Want to sit down and rest a little while over yonder in the glory land by and by after a while with mom and them? No, he's seated because he's finished the work. One piece of furniture that was never in Moses' tabernacle was a chair. Why? Because the Bible says in Hebrews that those priests never sat down. Why? Because their work was never finished. And in their offerings of sacrifices of animals and goats and bullocks, it was a continual reminder that sin is still a problem and has not been dealt with yet. But when Jesus came, him who knew no sin became sin, and he took away the sin of the world. And after he'd done that, he said out of his own mouth, it is finished, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father because there's nothing left to do. He didn't almost finish it. He didn't mostly finish it. He finished it. So Jesus took away the sin of the world, which, by the way, includes yours. Okay? That's better news than you grunted, but it's... And in verse 30 says, Moreover whom he predestined, these he also called, and them he called, them he justified. That means made righteous. Anytime you see the word justified, it's the exact same Greek word, made righteous. When did God make you righteous? When you put your faith in him, and his righteousness became yours. It was a divine Holy Ghost gift. The Bible calls that in the New Testament the gift of righteousness. Those in Romans, Paul said, that have received the gift of righteousness, they will reign in this life. Why? Because they know they're righteous. Because only prayers in the Bible, the answers to all those prayers, they're only made for righteous people. If you're not righteous, those prayers are not yours. Where David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. So if you're not righteous, you'll get forsaken and beg for bread. But you've got to know you're righteous. See, the confidence it gives you, not arrogance, but confidence. The Bible says the prayers of a righteous man accomplish much. Well, I'm not righteous. Well, your prayers don't accomplish much then because you're not praying in faith. You're trying to pray in your righteousness, whether you deserve it or not, or whether I've been a good boy this week and you think, God, I hear my prayers. All that's just religious lies. So there's been an identity theft, but I want to tell you something about your identity. Your identity is determined by your birth. It is the same way in the natural. Your identity, when they establish your identity, they do that by fingerprint and they do that by your birth certificate. And your identity comes from your birth, not by your behavior. Right? So in the same way, when you're born again, your identity is by birth. You have been born again. And so your identity is not based on your behavior. I'm not encouraging bad behavior, but Christianity is not a a behavior modification program. It is life for dead people. Uh. Many in the church, I believe, especially in America, are in an identity crisis. When, when you t- listen to me, what's going to happen? When you begin to say oh, you want to move forward into your destiny, as God begins to unveil and reveal that to you, but listen to me, as soon as you take a step toward destiny, then what's going to happen is you're going to be attacked by the enemy. I'm just going to go and tell you. You know better than Jesus. You know different than Jesus. When Jesus, at his baptism service, at his baptism service, uh, what was he doing? He was identifying with the Father. Now, God audibly spoke. The Bible says in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, that when he was baptized, uh, the heavens were opened. Okay? So there's never been a closed heaven since then. 
But yet I still hear people in churches and in crusades and in meetings get up before the people and pray and beg God for an open heaven, which is a spirit of just ignorance. Isaiah 64, 1, the prophet in that day in the old covenant cried out, Oh God, that you would open the heavens, you would rend the heavens and come down. Well, I want to announce to you, in case you don't know that, he has rent the heavens and he did come down. God came down in the form of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, and the heavens have been open ever since. And in fact, while Jesus was here, he told them that I am the door. And in Revelation, John saw a door standing open in heaven and the name of that door is Jesus. And the door is open. It's never been closed to no one. There was a door standing open, and his name is Jesus, which means heaven is accessible to you. You have no excuse, right? So, so you got to understand that, that, that when Jesus was baptized, the Father spoke audibly. Now, these same things happen to you. When, you, when you're baptized, it, we, we, we take communion like we did last Sunday, but we show, bab, we show baptism, what, what did we just show you when, when I baptized Carrie? What did I just show you? What did she demonstrate? She demonstrated death, burial, and resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. Just what Mike said, Jesus didn't die for you, he died as you. He did die for you, but he died as you. And you have to see yourself that I am dead to sin now and I'm alive to God. I was dead to God and alive to sin, but now I'm dead to sin and alive to God. And you, can, you might say, well, I don't feel dead to sin. Well, Paul said, reckon yourself dead then. That's a southern term. Well, I reckon I'm dead to sin. Can't participate. Sorry. You ever seen a dead man commit sin? No. You know, as soon as Jesus was baptized, God spoke audibly. He said, listen to what he said to his, to his he said, you are, not will be, my beloved son. Not that you're just my son, but you're my beloved son. So, bad grammar again, forgive me, but y'all all be loved. And ain't a thing you can do about it. Because while you was a sinner, God loved you. And he doesn't love you anymore now. You're at church. And I know you think you deserve that, but he, you, you just, you, no. Because God doesn't change. He's always the same. His methodology changes, but... God himself, his character, his nature does not change. He'll always be there for you. He'll never be against you. He says, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. All that's big sermons in itself, but just suffice it to say this, that is your portion. You are God's son, and God's already pleased with you. I told you one time, I preached a whole sermon about this years ago, they're talking about I please God. If I, if I was a Christian guy and I, I ordered me a shirt that says I please God and I wear it around this community, I'm going to catch Hades for that. Not from sinners, but from religious people. How dare you wear a shirt to say you please God? In fact, if I did one, I'd probably want to say I please God 24-7. Just to further aggravate them. You say, well, I don't always please God. No, you don't. But you do because of who he put you in. Let me ask you, and I get this all, I still get it. You wouldn't think I would get it after I have pounded on this so hard. You know, they cut me off, brother, I just want to please the Lord. And I go, oh, I feel like Paul. I labor till Christ be formed in you. I labor till you pay attention on Sunday. 
I want to, I always ask them this. Let me, I say, let me ask you this. Don't try to be mean. I just, let me ask you this. Because there was a day that I spent decades trying to please God. I fasted and prayed to try to please God. I, I, I pulled handfuls of carpet trying to please God. And when I did a lot of stuff that I thought got me brownie points, I felt like I was pleasing him. And when I blew it big time, I felt like he was displeased with me, disillusioned with me. Let me tell you something. You can't be disillusioned unless you've ever had an illusion. And God has never had an illusion about you. So you can't disillusion him. He knows everything you're ever going to do before you ever did it. And said, I still love them anyway. And they're still valuable and I want them and I'll pay the price of my blood to get them. Man, some good stuff here. I'm going to buy this CD myself. You say, I don't please God. I ask them this. Is God pleased with Jesus? And they'll go like I'm changing the subject, which I am, off of them onto Christ. Stop being sin conscious. How about start being Christ conscious? That's what Hebrews teaches us. If the sacrifice work, there remaineth no more consciousness of sin. Well, I still sin. Well, don't focus on it. That's never going to help you overcome sin by focusing on sin. That's why preaching on sin never causes people to sin less. It causes them, in fact, to sin more. Preaching on grace causes people to sin less. Because our focus is upon Jesus, looking unto him, the author and the finisher of your faith. Not looking unto your sin and seeing how you can whip it. I've told you focusing on sin to get free of sin is like focusing on chocolate pie, trying to get rid of eating chocolate pie. Just going to make you want more. Don't do it. It doesn't work. It's a waste of time. You got to focus on Jesus. Put your eyes upon him. And so if Jesus is pleasing to God, where did God put you? In Christ. Then you're pleasing to God because of Jesus. So just knock it off. It'll clear up your prayer calendar. You can do other stuff that really counts. And you can stop feeling sorry for yourself. And you can focus on what happened when you got born again. And then start living out of that revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. The only hope of you ever having or I have of displaying any degree of glory is that because Christ is in me. It's never based on what I do. But as soon as Jesus was told his identity, you are my beloved son and I'm pleased with you. And by the way, as a side note, Jesus at this point has never preached a sermon, never healed a sick person, never done anything at all religious, has been a blue collar carpenter worker for 30 years. And before he's ever preached his first sermon, ever done anything, and I don't care what you hear in fairy tale land, Jesus did not float on top of the water while Mary was trying to bathe him. He didn't walk on the water in his little bathtub. He didn't heal anybody. He didn't do any miracles. He could not do any mighty works or miracles until he was with, endued with power from the Holy Spirit. That's why when his daddy died from 12 years old to 30 somewhere, Joseph died. Jesus, if, was, if he had any miracle power, why didn't he heal his daddy? Why well, see his mother and his brothers and sisters half, but they're still, why did he watch them just suffer? If he had any raising of the dead power when he was 20 years old, he'd have raised his daddy from the dead. I don't know when he died, but the fact is he died. And the fact is they buried him. And then Jesus' name in scripture becomes not the carpenter's son, but the carpenter. Because he's the oldest and he takes on the, the ministry of that business. But at this point, Jesus hadn't done anything as far as preaching and teaching and None of that. None of that. In fact, Jesus was such a stumbling block to the Jews. You could not be a priest 
unless you was of the tribe of Levi. Jesus could never be a preacher. Not in the old system. Because he was not born of the tribe of Levi. He was not of the Aaron, Moses, Aaronic. No. What tribe was he of? Judah. The line of the tribe of Judah. And of the tribe of Judah, there has never been anybody come out of that for the priesthood, the Bible says. So Jesus didn't have any papers, any pedigree to be no preacher. That's why he was such a stumbling block to the Jews. He was of the tribe of Judah. He's the wrong tribe, born on, out of the wrong group. Yet Jesus said he's our high priest. He's our chief priest. They said he's not even of the right tribe. That's why it's called new covenant. No bearing with the old, totally brand new. And as soon as Jesus was told his identity, what did the devil do? He comes and attacks him. And he says, if you are, if you are the son of God. That's the same thing that's going to happen to all of you. When you start taking steps towards your purpose and destiny, the enemy's going to challenge you, do you know who you are? All the songs were about, do you know who you are? And so he said, if you are the son of God. It took me a decades before I ever saw this little revelation. I know you probably saw it way ahead of me. But the devil didn't quote it right. Now, what did his father say on that baptism service? You are my beloved son. When the devil said it back to him, he said, if you are the son of God. He left out the word beloved. wonder why he did that. You know who are susceptible to temptation in this world? Talking about Christians now. People who do not know that they're beloved by God. If you don't know 24-7 that you are absolutely God's favorite that you are loved by him regardless of your behavior, you will be susceptible to be tempted. Because let me tell you this, the Bible said Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was hungry. Now notice the timing of the enemy when he hits you. He hits you when you're hungry. Hungry for what? Not just biscuits and gravy. Hungry for anything you've ever been hungry for. Don't make me name all of them. Just hungry, hungry for companionship, hungry, hungry. That's when he hits you. Well, try this. Turn these stones into bread. Try this. I thought you was the son of God. Look at you, man, out here in the wilderness. You ain't got nothing. You've been out here just 40 days. I thought God's supposed to meet all your needs. Where is he at? Don't look like no beloved son to me. If you are the son of God, where is he at? Why ain't he taking care of you? Why you ain't got no job? Why they took your car and repossessed it? Why they cut your lights off? I thought you was a Christian. If you are the son of God. And if you open that door to doubt, well, am I really saved? Man, man he, cut, he knocked it off the hinges. Here he comes. Wide open. You know what you do? See, see then you got to turn to whatever your God is. Because everybody's got a God. Might be bluebell ice cream. I don't know what your God is, but everybody's got something. You turn to that to bring comfort, to bring peace. It's all false comfort, false peace. You ever wonder why the Holy Spirit's called the Comforter? Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter, but He's not just to comfort you when life gets tough. 
He's your comforter because he's going to bring you out of your comfort zone. Just like this preaching's doing to you, this ranting. <laughs> he's going to challenge your, your identity. When God begins to reveal your destiny, the first thing that's going to happen to you is your own, my own, my, our own negativity is going to rise up. I can't do it. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough money. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too this. I'm too that. I can't do this, God. That's the first thing that's going to happen, and it's all through the Bible. And so God, in the beginning of Exodus, I think it's chapter 3, God uh, speaks to Moses out of a burning bush and calls him to be a deliverer for, for his people. First thing Moses does is he spends all of that chapter and then picks it up again in chapter 6 and 7 and tells God all the excuses why he cannot be the deliverer. He said, I'm slow of tongue. I'm slow of speech. I can't talk in front of people. I can't speak in a crowd. I can't do it. And he gives him all the reasons. And then he says, and then he focuses on himself, who am I that I should deliver God's people? And God said, listen, it ain't about who you are, it's who I am. And he said, well, who do I tell them sent me? Just tell them I am sent you. Not I will be. Or not I was. God is not I was. Some of y'all, God is not I will be. God is I am. I am a present. We sung the song, I am who he says I am. They asked Jesus when they come to arrest him in the garden, are you the son of God? He said, I am. And the Bible says all the soldiers fell backwards. Why? Just because there's power in knowing who you are and agreeing with God in who God says you are. Just agree with God. And so you got to see it. Moses had a hard time seeing it. And in, and in Genesis chapter, or Exodus rather, Exodus chapter 7, Moses is still arguing with God about I can't do it. He's already told him, listen, okay, you want to talk? All right, I'm going to send Aaron. Let Aaron do the talking. You just stand there with the stick. I'll let your brother talk. You just stand there and look mean at him while Aaron does the talking. What are we going to tell him? Let my people go. It's not hard. Just say those words. Well, what if he don't? What if Pharaoh don't listen to me, Moses said? God's like, God. <laughs> he actually told him one time, he said, who made your mouth? It's like God says, if I've got confidence in you, why can't you have confidence in you? If I have faith in you, why can't you have faith in yourself? If I'm putting faith in you, if I believe in you, why can't you believe in yourself? Are you calling me stupid that I didn't know what I was doing when I called you? When I predetermined you, when I destined you, when I called you into this vocation, this, this market? But whatever the God's put, placed you in in your destiny, what all that entangles and involves. And... Uh, Exodus 7, verse 1 says, the Lord said to Moses, see. Everybody say see. That means to look. Now, listen, you have to be able to see what God sees, to see your destiny. You've got to see it. And I'm going to tell you something. You're going to have problems, problems, problems until you get to where you can see it. Because the world's not trained you to see anything good about yourself. Now, Moses said, see. God said to Moses, see. Not I will, but I have made you as God to Pharaoh. 
and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. Now, you're going to be like a god to this man, and I'm, I'm for that. Why? Because Pharaoh thought he was a god himself in human form. But God said, I'm going to elevate you even higher than that. As far as Pharaoh's going to be concerned, you're going to be god in human flesh. You're going to be a god to this guy. I'm about to unleash some stuff on him. I feel ten plagues coming on. You're going to be a god to this guy. God says to Moses, I need you to see this, son. And you can say, well, I don't feel it. You don't need to feel it. Just see it. There's another guy named Abram. Remember him? We would know him as Abraham, but at this point he's Abram. God made him a promise. And this is what God said. Listen, the guy doesn't even have one kid. No kids. He's an old man. He said, I have made you a father of many nations. When as yet, he's not, he doesn't have one child. He doesn't have one. And God says, I'm not, I will make you a father of many nations. God said, I have. See, I have made you a father of many nations. And you got no kid on the dirt. Now, in, in Genesis 15 and 2, Abram still, he can't get this. This has been like 25 years of this, 24 really at this point. And he says, but Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless. What do you think his problem was with his destiny to be a father of many nations? He didn't see it. He didn't see it. How did he see himself? Y'all, we don't have a lot of time. Y'all got to work with me fast, okay? (laughs) He saw himself how? Childless. Is that the way to see it? Why why did he see himself childless? Because that's what you see in the natural. So if, if you see yourself the way you look in the mirror and the way your checkbook looks and the way, you're going to see yourself in a the, in the bad way. You've got to see yourself the way God sees you. Now, what did God see him? Father, many nations. Not just many kids, many nations. Abram, like, I, I just can't see it. I just, I don't see it. And then he's crying out, let, let this servant in my house be the, my heir. God says, no way, man. Down in verse 5, Genesis 15, then what God does, look at this, then he brought him where? Outside and said, look. Now, sometimes God has to show you a picture. And so God takes him by the hand and said, you need to get away from all these religious people that's telling you what you ain't got no kid and you're too old. You need to get away from all the doctor's results and all the tests that says you're going to die. You need to get away from all that because you got, you know, it may be, a, it may be true, but it's not, it may be a fact, but it's not true. The truth is you shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I know they're looking at facts, but I'm looking at truth, and they're different. They don't always agree. So he brought him outside. Look now toward heaven. Now he says, count the stars if you're able to number them. And God says, you know, you know letting him count a while. <laughs> and God says, so shall your descendants be, just like them stars. And look what it said, verse 6, and he believed in the what? In the Lord. That's all God wants the whole time. And it accounted or was credited to him for what? That's always how righteousness comes. Not by behavior, but by belief. And when you believe, your account is accredited for his righteousness. Now listen to this. All the promises of God for you and I are chiropractic in nature. That's a new one, isn't it? Tweet that one after church. 
all, listen, all the promises of God are chiropractic in nature. What I mean by that, I mean they adjust you. They adjust your posture. They adjust how you carry yourself. They adjust how you speak of yourself. They adjust how you uh, talk of your own self. How do you speak about yourself? The promises of God will, will reveal to you your identity in him. And so when we get to Adam and Eve, where this thing all started in the garden, I, listen, I want, you, I want to say something that I don't know if I've ever said to a congregation, but I want you to get this because I, I listen to people talk about that whole scene that went down in the garden with Adam and Eve when they sinned, and they just, they, they've got it so wrong. Uh, in the garden, the root issue was an identity crisis, an identity problem. Now, when God made Adam and Eve, he made them, he, he said, let us make man according to our image and after our likeness. Was that something that God was going to do, or did God make them in his image and in his likeness? They were already like God, right? Already in his image. Okay? And so Adam and Eve, listen to me, did not eat of the tree of evil. Right? Adam and Eve didn't eat of the tree of evil. The Adam and Eve partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Big, big time difference. Now, a lot of people think that, that Adam and Eve were pursuing, or Eve, you know, initially, were, she was pursuing sin or some s- sinful act, or listen, or that the devil tempted them to do some sinful thing. Let, let me tell you this. They had never seen a sinful act. They had never seen sin. Didn't know what it was. They wasn't tempted by Satan to do something evil. Well, do this, God be mad, but just do it anyway. No, no. There was no sinful act that they were tempted to do. They were tempted by pursuing God-likeness. They were tempted by wanting to be like God. Today, if you, say, if you say that, people would esteem that in the church. That is a worthy goal, God-likeness. I want to tell you, it's just as deceptive today as it was to them. They, listen, they had observed God walking with them, and they wanted to be like God. And Satan comes to them, and, and he says, if, if you eat of this tree, first off, you won't die. And listen, your eyes will be open. This is Genesis 3 and 5. And you, listen, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so what were they tempted with? They, they were tempted in God-likeness. And that's when they fell. Because it wasn't that God didn't want them to be like him. He had already made them in his image and in his likeness. For some reason, I don't know what the deal was, they were, he, Satan made them doubt that they were not like God. And in order to be like God, you have to do something. And that's what religion does. I'm almost done. Religion feeds food to dead people. Religion is food for a dead man, and he'll never eat it. You can teach him. You can go up to a dead a corpse, and you can teach him the best teaching you ever want to teach him, but you'll never bring him to life by teaching him something because he's, he's a dead man. He doesn't need your teaching. What does a dead person need? Life. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they did not need God to forgive them. God had already predetermined to do that. 
What they needed was the antidote for what happened to them. For the Bible said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely what? Die. So they did not sin and need forgiveness. They, they, they sinned and died. And the Bible says that, that therefore Romans 5 and 12, just as through one man sin entered the world. What was that one man? Adam. And death came through sin. And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Now I've asked you this, and I know a lot of you know this, and I hope you do, and don't disappoint me. But Romans 5, 19 says this, for as by one man's disobedience. Who is that man? Adam. We can call him the first Adam, right? All right, so by that one man's disobedience, many were what? Made sinners. Okay, now look at me. Don't cheat. How many sins do you have to be, how many sins do you have to commit to be a sinner? It's okay. I'm not trying to trick you. I'll never try to trick you here. But I am trying to get my point across. So many times, and, and many of you, and it's okay. It's okay. I love you. That's what Papa's here for. Okay? Several of you said, you even held up your finger. You said one. In other words, if I commit one sin, I'm a sinner. Wrong answer. It's okay, because there's something real good coming. Hang on. How many sins do you have to commit to be a sinner? I just read it. Okay, as far as me and you, we didn't commit any sin at all. Yet, we were made, born sinners. Who committed the sin? Adam. So Adam committed sin. I got credit for his sin, and now I'm born a sinner because of what he did. How many can say, that ain't fair? I didn't ask to be born. I didn't ask for all this. Okay. Come on, you said it. I didn't ask for all this. Yeah, you did. (laughs) That's another sermon, another time. Okay, so if you can believe that, because the Bible says that by one man, not you, but another man's disobedience, you were made a sinner. And so the reason you sin is because that's what sinners do. Fishermen fish. Come on, lead man, talk to me, Bubba. Fishermen fish. Builders build. Sinners sin. It's their nature. They're good at it. Okay? So you were born a sinner. You were made a sinner by something somebody else did. Now, listen to me. I'm done. If you can believe that, and I don't know why you shouldn't because it's in the book and I just told you. Now, you're not a sinner because you committed sin. You're a sinner because you were born that way. And you were born dead in trespasses and sin. You were dead to what? Dead to God. Dead to the things of God. Dead to that. Now, so listen to me. Close it with this. If you can believe that you were made a sinner, not by any action on your own, but you were made it by the action of Adam, and you were made that way, born that way, then why can't you believe that when you're born again by the last Adam, that you are now made righteous Not by anything you've ever done, but by what he did. And that righteousness has been transferred to you. Because that's what that one verse says. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Therefore, by one man's obedience, Jesus, many will be made righteous. When will they be made righteous? As soon as they put their faith and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are righteous. Amen. Stand to your feet, everybody. Come on, give God some praise for that. Glory. Glory.
So your righteousness was gifted to you. Now what Adam did, the first Adam, I know we look at that and go, that is just so unfair, man. You know, it's not unfair, it's brilliant. And I know that sounds weird to call it brilliant. But in God's plan, God said that I'm going to fix this. That one man disobeyed and it brought death into the world. Now, that last Adam is going to obey and it's going to bring life into the world. And through that one man's obedience, the Bible said Christ was obedient even to the death of the cross. By his obedience, all of that is now accredited to you. And without you, listen, without you ever doing one thing righteous, you have now been made righteous because of what the last Adam, Jesus, did on the cross. Amen. Now, when you, it's so important that you believe that and know that because when you believe and know that, and I'll tell you something, you're going to have some times, man, that I, I think you in the flesh just like me, I know you are, you're going to blow it big time. You're just going flat out sin. Now, I, I hope you don't have it circled in your calendar for three weeks from now. Like on this day here, man, I'm, finna get, I'm going to sin up a storm. I, I think you got a real problem going on mentally if that's marked up three weeks ahead. Okay? Now, I do it, but it's not on my day timer. Okay? It's not on my, it's not on my, my phone. But I, I, I do it. There's times I cannot stand what I see in the mirror. And I don't want to be the man that I think sometimes that I am. But I have to be reminded that I'm not what I just did. I'm who he says I am. I am who he says I am. Don't make me get to miss you back up into singing. I am who he says I am. And the more that I realize I am who he says I am, then the more I have the possibility of living that out, which is called living it by the Spirit. By the revelation of who I am in my spirit man. In my spirit man, I'm just like Jesus. I'm righteous. I'm holy. It's all not anything based on what I do. It's based on his gift. It's been given to me. And so don't be a hypocrite. Not in the normal sense you hear that said in church. But it is a hypocrite to be born again and on the inside to be righteous and holy, acceptable to God, and then to... To live a lie. To live like you're not. So be true to who you are on the inside. I know some of you have been taught another sermon another time. I've talked and wrote about it. You don't have a sin nature. There's not two wars going on. A good side and a bad side. And one's fighting. And you, no, no, no. That's all lies. The Bible says when you're born again, you are now been made a partaker of the divine nature of God. You do not have a sin nature. It is not normal for you to live a life of sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. No longer. Okay, you say, well, what's my issue then, and why do I still sin, preacher? I don't know. You tell me. We'll both know. No, no, here you go. The reason you still sin is because of flesh. Flesh. You don't have a sin nature, but you're still in an earth suit. You're still in flesh. And that's what the enemy uses to try to tempt us to sin, is the flesh. But you are not of the flesh. You are of the spirit. For you've been born from above. Born of the Spirit, born of God, citizen of heaven, saints of the Most High, children of God, fathers your father. Come on, some. That's who you are. And I don't, I, I, you know, and if you have to listen to a sermon like this seven days a week until you get it, then do it. Put, put them on in that. You do what you got to do to stay with who you are, your identity. 
And then when you know who your identity, who you are in Christ, it's not an arrogant thing, then you can take steps toward your destiny. And as you walk in your destiny, you'll fulfill your purpose. Your life will be much happier. I mean, you, you'll just be doing, I remember you know, people, you talk about, oh, I mean, well, I would hate it if God called me. To, see, when I'm doing this right here, I don't know if it goes and shows forth, but when I have these, you know, uh, 60, 45 minutes, whatever the deal is, when I have these moments to be able to stand and do what I'm doing, this is what I, this is my purpose. This is what I'm on the earth to do. And I'm the happiest doing this than I am anything I do. Okay. I like doing a lot of other stuff. There's some stuff I do. I absolutely hate in the flesh. Okay. But it makes me money, so I do it. Because I like the money, but I don't like the, what it takes to get the money. I don't mean nothing illegal. Don't let me laugh. <laughs> There's some things that we do. And so my wife knows what I'm talking about. Sometimes she'll, she'll look at me, and I'm heading out to go meet people and stuff. She said, boy, you got a, just a scrowl or something she's called. What do you call it? She said, you got a grimace look on your face this morning. I said, I'd rather be beat in my face with a, some kind of mop than have to go out and do what I'm going to do today. She said, do you hate it when you make that deposit? I go, no. She said, well, go to work then. Glory to God. <laughs> <laughs> I understand life. I know it's tough sometimes. It's hard. I love Marta's post Saturday morning. She had that look. That was amazing. She put it on Facebook. She said, whose idea was it to do inventory on this beautiful Saturday morning? You know, she, boy, she had a look, Mike. I wouldn't want to get that look. You know what I'm saying? But you have to go do what you got to do, man. I understand that. Listen, last statement. Listen. It, it, our problem through the Bible is clearly taught that it's not so much, it's not our, about what we, our behavior, what we do. Our problem is that we don't have any life displayed in what we do and Jesus said I've come that they might have life and not just have it but have it more abundantly I've come that that, that, that they, they might have life I want them to have life and then when you go to do whatever you do just do have life with it when you do it because the life of God will show through I mean things you know life is life life hands us some stuff man it's not all fun and games but the agrarian society they lived in, I mean, it's not like, oh, let's dig a hole and plant some seeds. It's fun. Yay. You know what I mean? It's like you got to do it because of the harvest. You do it. And so, so it is with life. But Jesus has given you that life if you put your faith in him. Hey, and if you're listening to me and you hadn't, would you do that? Would you say, I believe the good news of this man just preached? Because the Bible said if you'll just believe, you're saved. Believe in what? Believe that God raised him from the dead. Believe that the gospel's true. It's news that are too good to be true news. And God said, I'll make you righteous. I'll make you holy. I'll make you pleasing to me. And just to make you, give you assurance, of, I'm going to put you in somebody that I'm real pleased with, and that's my son Jesus. And I'm going to be put you in him so I can treat you like him. And I'm going to listen to you like him. I'm going to always be there for you. Because I've put you in him and him in you. And you just try to figure out how good that is. And God loves you today. And I hope you know it and believe it and accept it. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, I want our community group pastors to come. I want them to come up here this morning, and I want my elders to come. Y'all come on. Don't wait. Start and flag. Go. Okay. And, uh, and we're just doing that. We're here. Hey, guys, we're here for you. And it's our uh, privilege. It's our pleasure. 
Uh, and our responsibility, by the way, as shepherds to sheep to pray with you and for you if you want prayer for any reason. Okay? So if you want prayer, I'm dismissing the church. You come this way. If not, shake hands with somebody. Give them the biggest old smile. Tell them you better not miss next Sunday. Glory to God. All right? God bless you, Grace Point. We love you guys. Hey, we're here if you want prayer. Come this way. We'd be glad to talk with you, meet with you.
sun sets free is free indeed I will walk in victory Oh, the sun sets free is free indeed I 